welcome to episode 94 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Sarah Jackson. Are you sure? Pretty sure. You, you don't sound convinced. Sarah pretty Jackson. Sure. I'm pretty sure. This is our last of the four clip episodes. We're rounding out the holidays. We have been at home with our families. And we'll, we'll be back in San Francisco when this comes out. Oh. Ooh. Really? Pretty stoked so, on that. So happy to be back and not with family. <laughs> As you are listening to this, we have successfully been with our families for the holidays, but now we're back. We, we survived. Are, we survived. We survived. Ideally. God, that knock on wood. Knock yeah. on wood. We're recording new content uh, that will be coming at you soon. But this is a compilation episode featuring some of our favorite clips from 2015. We're getting close to 100 episodes. We've talked to over 100 guests. Uh, and a lot of amazing contents come out of that. So we pulled out some of our most memorable bits, put them together for you. Yay. Jeepers creepers, guys. If that's not enough and you want more podcast content, be sure to check out spec.fm. We've got four other shows on the network and big plans for 2016, all about helping designers and developers level up. And with that, let's get into episode 94 with more clips. With us. With various guests. And me. And Sarah. <laughs> you're, you're one of the various guests. Hi, Sarah. You don't get excluded. Hi. Never. Psh. This first clip comes from our first ever live meetup, which was in New York City at Etsy. And it was amazing. It's so much fun. Hey, Bryn, let me ask you a question. No. When we started this in November 2014, did you ever imagine we'd be sitting in a room in New York City hosting a meetup? In New York City? No. Somewhere? Maybe. I mean, in SF, like anyone can host a meetup. People do it all the time that definitely shouldn't be hosting meetups. <laughs> do they even know what they're doing? This was, for me, like the highlight of design details for the year. It was pretty rad. Uh, our guests were fantastic. Jessica Harley was incredible. Justin Edmond, Joel Khalifa. We had so much fun with them. Yep. If you are listening and you made it to the show, huge thanks for coming out to the meetup. We're going to do more this year, hopefully in San Francisco, hopefully in other cities. But this clip is just some of the highlights from from that conversation that we had in front of a live audience. Of like 70 people? About. And the room was supposed to fit 50. Yep. I'm happy about that. It was great. So we'd love to know what advice you would give to a young designer getting started. It's a question that Bryn and I get a lot uh, in the Slack team. And we flip that and ask a lot of our guests, what advice would you give to someone that's just getting started out and wants to be a product designer? I can do this one. Uh, <laughs> um, document everything is one that's that I, advice. yeah. <laughs> that's I got an email from someone actually a couple of days ago and it literally read like a panic attack. Um, but they were like, yeah, like I didn't document all of the things that I needed at my previous jobs, but I have to make a portfolio. And it's like, what do I do? Um, but yeah, no, the answer is document absolutely everything. Like have a separate hard drive that you put all your work on and just never like connect it to your computer until you need to back something up. Like that's, I, I literally have the entire Pinterest Dropbox on a hard drive. Maybe we don't say that on the record. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I mean, I worked on most of this, that stuff. Um, but it's, it's important to have a record of your work and it's important to also have a record of the process of your work. So like document everything doesn't just mean like your shiny final products, but also like make the saves in between and like make sure that you have like all of the like really important 
um, pieces of the evolution of this thing that you made, because without it, like all you have to go on is like what's live and what's live isn't going to be live forever. Right. Um, I think for me, it's become comfortable with being wrong and like expect to be wrong. Um, like I remember the first time I watched usability testing at Etsy um, was the first time I had ever had something that I made tested and it was like totally horrifying. <laughs> like, you know, I wanted to like yell through the screen and just be <laughs> like, no, like over there, like click over there, like do this thing. Like, why don't you get it? And, you know, it's easy to look at that and be like, oh, I did this wrong. Or like, um, you know, like, why don't they understand this? Like, it's so obvious, but I think you kind of have all these other inputs that you need to be able to do good work. And um, like usability testing is like a great example of, you know, you want to be wrong because you want to learn from that and use it in your work to become better. Nice. Um, yeah. I think for me, it's if you're trying to, to get into product design, right. And get a nice product design job or even get better at the craft itself. To me, it's, it's really about intentionality. I guess it's about like every decision you make has to have some kind of reasoning behind it, right? You should be doing everything for a reason. It might not be a good reason yet, but you shouldn't just do things just because, right? And I think it's the same with your career. When you, I mean, you can design your career essentially, right? You can look at, say, I want to be a product designer at company type A. So you look at five companies type A, what are they looking for? And you start building towards that, right? So... Yeah, it's about kind of looking ahead and making intentional decisions instead of just like letting life take you wherever. That actually sounds like really shitty advice when I think about it. Like, like yeah, never be spontaneous ever again. So yeah, obviously, obviously that's not what I mean. Um, but yeah, but like have a, a bit more intentionality about like directing your life in the right direction, right? You can let things happen. It's fine. But um you can direct yourself, I think is, and I think that's a, a really empowering thought too. So this next clip comes from episode 73, one of our later ones with Katie Dill, someone we met at Epicurrence and was super ratchet to talk there and we couldn't wait to talk to her after that. And one of the things we talked about uh, during that and something that's kind of near and dear to our hearts is critique. And she has a nice structure for it that's, that's pretty unique. In fact, the episode was called Feedback Friends. It's, it's all about critique pretty much. But she kind of divides things up into ideas, questions, positive, and negatives. And it was really interesting hearing her talk about that structure. Yeah, we got a ton of feedback that people took. Was it friendly? Took that was friendly it ideas, questions, feedback. positives, negatives? Yeah, and people were integrating her ideas into their own critiques. And I think that's basically the most we could ask for out of these shows that people are taking these ideas to their own companies and their jobs. So that was really awesome to hear. I really hope she does build an app. A critique app? Yeah. A app. Tap, if you will. Mm, I like that. Patent that. Patent it now. Copyright 2015. Brian Levin. All rights reserved. <laughs> Let's get into the clip. I'm curious what the hardest part or like what are the, some of the, the struggles that you guys have designing a product that so much of it happens offline out of your control. Uh, the human to human interface. The the condition of Airbnb places like so much of that's outside of your control. What are the key handoffs? Key handoffs. Oh, dare we go into that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
What are some like the the biggest struggles and and things that you think about daily about like how to make that better? Yeah, well, you, you hit the nail on the head. That is definitely one of the biggest challenges as an Airbnb designer is trying to uh, create a coherent and you know reliably high quality, enjoyable experience for both our hosting guests throughout every stage of their journey when a good portion of that journey we don't have direct control over. I'm actually giving a talk on this um, at the O'Reilly Conference in um, January uh, here in San Francisco. And so so actually, this is a sneak peek. It's a sneak peek. And I've already started to like, put my thoughts together on it. But the truth is, everything we do contributes to that um, and you know, is what we're, we're tr- striving to do to bring you know, better clarity and uh, more coherency to that journey. You know, we, we talk a lot about it at Airbnb, but it's um, a really core part of what we do is to storyboard out the journey. Uh, so we call it Snow White because it was informed and inspired by uh, Walt Disney and the Snow White story. They storyboarded out the, the film before they created it so they could know all the various parts that are going into it. And so I think it's about three years ago, Airbnb did the same thing for the guest journey and the host journey. And it's up on the wall for everybody to see. And with that, we can look at it and think about, well, where are we helping our hosts and, and our guests? Like, where are we actually there? Like, providing them the, the support that they need, and when are we not? And when might we be able to provide more help for them? So, for example, when you're looking for a listing as a guest, you know, you've got the Airbnb product on your mobile, you've got it on desktop, on tablet, uh, even on your watch now, and you, you can look at different, various listings. But then... When you're arriving at the the listing, perhaps, and you're looking for your key, you know, are we helping you as much as we can? And so that's where we we use that storyboard to think about the moments, and then we also use the storyboard to think about, well, like you're looking for that key, well, we might not be there. You might not have service on your cell phone. Uh, maybe you know that the. the something went wrong and it's not working as planned. So maybe we can't be there. Maybe we don't have direct control to be the person like to, to help you at that moment. And so we think about what other moments in the journey could we have done something better to help you in that other time. And so that might mean providing you with the directions that you could save offline so it's available on your phone when you're not there, for example. You know, that's like a small part of it. The same thing with the, the profile that I pointed out. Like we're trying to set expectations. We're trying to introduce you to someone that you can start building trust between two strangers or help you get to know the place before you get there. And all of that actually happens at a much earlier stage in the journey than when it's actually, you know, a part of your experience. And so we need to d- account for that earlier. You have a quizzical look on your I, face. I love that companies talk about user journeys and you guys literally have a journey that you have to do. <laughs> Travel experience is inherently a journey, so yes, it's unavoidable, but all companies should be thinking about this. And you know, when I was working with early-stage startups at that uh, venture capital firm that I was working at before Airbnb, a company called Greenstart, we were helping early-stage companies try to you know, think about their product experience and all of the entailments of that uh, and really understand their users to build a great product. And honestly, I think like the number one value that we could bring to them was help them create a journey map. Like actually sit down and think about what your users are going through and sketch it out because seriously, a picture does tell a thousand words and think about like, are they carrying bags when they're trying to do that? You know, are they like outside, inside? Like all of these things illuminate so much about the product need and it's amazing how few people are taking that step when they're trying to create a product. Uh, so, you know, I sometimes feel silly to, to bring it up so often because I think as designers, like we kind of get it, uh, but it's you know, surprisingly absent 
Uh, so, I, you know, for a little while, I was setting out to do um, a journey map app so like, companies could just like make their journey map. Uh, so, you know, if anyone does that, just give me 10 percent. <laughs> Your idea <laughs> yeah. forever. Uh, yeah. Copyright 2015. <laughs> <laughs> so this next clip is from episode number 74 called Itchy Feet featuring Diana Mountner. A.K.A. Broccolini. The one and only. The one and only. The notorious Broccolini. <laughs> and she talks about um, the importance of learning Git for her as a designer. And I suppose for designers in general. What? Yeah, the, what the whole team think? at Etsy works in code, which is amazing. Well, I love I, that. It resonated because when I first learned Git, it was the most empowering thing. And she just reaffirmed that and also like explained how that can empower an entire design team within a company. That was awesome. Anyway, enjoy, enjoy the clip. And I hope you go back and listen to the episode too, because she's really good. Enjoy this clip. Itchy Feet, number 74, featuring Broccolini, a.k.a. Diana Mounter. You sound like really excited about learning Git specifically. Is there a particular reason that you as a designer really feel like that was a powerful thing? So, so learning Git on, on that hackathon project allowed me to contribute code. So I knew a little bit of HTML and CSS. I could make copy updates and I was doing some, you know, simple design stuff and learning that on, at that hackathon meant that I can actually contribute code to that project. But, and for me, that was like really empowering. I was helping build it. And that stuck with me. And even though that wasn't really a, a, an essential or like required part of my role at that agency, whenever I could, I would jump in and help out and try and make any changes that I could that didn't really need like an engineer to do. And I just wanted to learn more after that. Um, I think it's really empowering to do it, it I think it's an essential part at most companies um to enable you to push code yep I think even just conceptually it's really helpful should think, designers code though guys <laughs> should designers oh get <laughs> but I think conceptually it's super helpful just this idea of branching and merging like understanding how changes compound over time and like for me when I first started I didn't want to mess around with code that I thought I could break it's this idea of like branching off and being able to break anything and nothing like it was fine. Mm-hmm. It like opened up this room for creativity and just screwing around with stuff. And that was like a great way to learn. It's like starting a new artboard when you iterate instead of trying and deleting the old one. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Metaphors. <laughs> no, like that's something I've been like metaphors are really helpful. Like <clears throat> simile. Sorry. <laughs> oh gosh. He's Googling simile versus metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> it's a simile, but oh, sorry. Man. I have no idea. Just because I use the word like or as. Yep. I'm getting the middle finger. Okay. Well, so <laughs> anyways, like, anyway. So if you're trying to teach a new designer um, how to use Git, using examples, relating it to something they're, they're familiar with can be really helpful. So I found like uh, talking about splitting how, off stocks of broccolini. Yes, yeah, I haven't <laughs> done that. Oh my god! 
going to redo all the docs when I get back at work. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> things like uh, Dropbox and like saving and syncing can be like a, a pretty helpful uh, thing to compare it to um, because it is, you know, when you've been using it for a while, it's really hard to step back into those like shoes of early days and I think, what made me understand this? And so I've been you know, talking a lot with the designers that have been learning this recently and asking them to be really super honest about their feedback and just be like, what is not making sense? And there's so many things that are super alien to them that I've gotten used to. Like you forget. Yeah. Like what, when should, when should you add and commit stuff? Like when is a good time to make a commit? And like, when should you push code? Always, always. Always I mean, commit. I'm like always be committing, right? But ABCs. like, yeah, it's it's really obvious to you when you use it for a while, but it's not to a new designer. They think that they're typing this thing and it's going to be like really important when they do that and what it what it says and who it gets sent to. So there is some stuff out there for like learning Git as designers, but I feel like there could be a lot more. Just reminded me, there's some website that scrapes public GitHub commits for anyone that says, I think the F word. And it just is like, oh, this, yeah, this running, it's wonderful. It's this, a Tumblr. <laughs> yeah, this running list of commits that have the F word in it, it's like fixing fucking all bug. <laughs> can't, can't fucking fix this fucking bug. Oh, man. I really love writing silly commit messages, except that there's now this little voice inside me that says, no, write something that means something. So I always that when use emojis someone's, at the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> commit uh, emojis. I use, I, I have, so we use, uh, Basecamp at uh, Etsy. Etsy to share design work, which I think we all have a bit of a love-hate relationship with, but we, we use it and I always make it a personal challenge, which helps me enjoy the process of sharing stuff on Basecamp to like include emojis, um, but you know, not too much. That's just an enough. intense personal challenge. But also puns and little jokes oh, oh. because I'm ruining my secret now, but then I know if someone's read it because they'll like reply. They'll be like, "Oh my god, that was hilarious!" I, I would like really laughed at that, and I like that's so much fun trying to bring mm -hmm. that into writing stuff. I don't know. I know people read my comment <laughs> messages now because they're like, "Oh, wet shit frown." Like, <laughs> oh, you probably didn't like that. And there's so many more emojis now, but there's no bacon one. There's, or they're also it. kind of terrible. The new ones are really ugly. But there's I a taco emoji. That's all everyone's talking about. I would like to talk about the upside down smiley, smiley face. face. That's my favorite. That one's been getting a lot of usage in my circles. Mm -hmm. In your circles. In my circles, Brian. In your clicks. I was going to say, I sent you him sent one. You sent one too. Yeah, I sent you it's one. It's the Australian smiley face. <laughs> I sent Kat one because he was like, I'm heading to Australia. And I was like, <laughs> I really oh, yeah, hope he, he says Ave. Yeah. I hope he said. <laughs> Did he do that? I did not see that. I hope he says Arvo to someone while he's there because like he <laughs> <laughs> they'll just think like either he's using it in the wrong way or like just reply normally oh, to him. It would yeah. be so funny. Petition to rename Cap as Arvo Watkins. <laughs> Arvo Watkins. Our next clip comes from episode 70 with Ash Wong, who is someone that we put on our list of people to talk to from day one. And it took us a long time to finally get her. I feel her like there's the a lot of people who are like that. Yeah. And so it was awesome to chat with Ash. This particular clip was fun for us because we talk about how she is a woman who also happens to tech. It's important for us because the gender issues in tech, 
especially here in Silicon Valley, are a huge talking point. They're a huge point of contention. And I think that having an open discussion is important and getting different points of view is important. So if you've been a regular listener, we talk about gender in tech and in design quite frequently. And I think Ash had an awesome point of view on this. So this is the clip with Ash Wong on being a woman who happens to tech. What's the transition been like? How's it going? It's been really good. I, I always knew I kind of wanted to work for myself. Right. And so it's kind of been that like the end of the line dream. And I think there's like something scary in being like, nope, it's time. It's like time to go do that now. Because I think there's this fear for me that it wouldn't make me happy. And then it would be like, well, now what? You know? Um, but I also had this kind of realization that if I didn't start doing it now, I would be, it's basically like procrastinating in some way. So it's like, if you don't start now, like in five years, you'll be where you were like five years ago if you had started now. And so I was like, okay. Like, it almost sounds like your decision go. to go to Pinterest was like a form of procrastination. And then the decision to leave was a form of procrastination. Yeah. Yeah. It was really interesting because Pinterest was like, when, by the time I left, it was like 200 something people, which I was like not expecting. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I, the thing I really like about being independent is that, I don't know, I guess it all comes down to kind of this rebellion where like I can do all these like different kinds of things. I can just like disappear and go to a museum and like come back with like a lot of fresh ideas in the middle of the day and fewer people are like, oh, like I need you in this meeting or so on, which has been nice. But also the variety has been really helpful in that like I'll be working on my book and like think of something that helps like some client project or vice versa. And so it feels like very fertile, which is nice. Cool. Uh, we had an interesting discussion last week about inspiration. Oh, yeah. Bryn's maybe more... Skeptical. Skeptical. Word. I, d I don't think of things in terms of inspiration. I'm, I'm interested in where you're going with this. I'm curious your thoughts on inspiration because you said, you know, you can go to a, a museum and come back with ideas. Like, where do you get inspiration mm -hmm. from? Is it, is it off screen, out in nature? Like, how do you, how do you even think about inspiration? Is this a thing for you? For reference, the conversation we had was about um, like going out in nature or wherever and finding something completely unrelated to any given problem and using that to go solve a problem later. Mm -hmm. Whereas I'm like, okay, I have this exact problem. I'm going to search out a solution right now. So it's a little bit more pragmatic and I think of it more as research than inspiration. Mm -hmm. It's funny because I think I'm kind of in the middle there where... I think I'm a hoarder. Like I am seeking out a lot of new experiences a lot of time and I kind of just like put it in like a little box and like file it away somewhere. Um, I think that's why I liked Pinterest so much because you can just like literally <laughs> hoard stuff yeah. online and they're just always there for you and you can like search and like find that thing you were hoarding. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of it for me is making connections between things that weren't necessarily easy to connect. Mm -hmm. And so for me that it's like, you just have to have a lot of fuel to be able to do that. So, um, yeah, like I'm trying to think of like a good example of something I did recently that was similar. Um, I worked on some illustrations for, uh, Sequoia Capital and the concept was, it was for an event called Sightlines. And I had been thinking about these books that I had seen a while ago, which is these like gorgeous, like geometric drawings and that kind of, we like, we tried some other stuff, but I kind of started thinking about kind of like these mathematical equations and like, you know, how like 
sightlines are kind of angles. And if you put all these angles together, they start to like create something more meaningful. And so it was like stuff that I had been seeing like ages and ages ago and just like were on my shelf. Hmm. And so the inspiration was not immediate. I think immediate inspiration is a lot harder. Um, but I think it's just like, you just have to have, for me, I just have this like library in my brain that I pull from and I'm like, Oh, this is like a good metaphor for that. Or like, Oh, I'm really into knitting right now. And like, let's make this like poster, like a cozy sweater. And so, um, that's been my thing. And I think going out into nature for me, I try to go into nature a lot, but it's more like defragging the computer and like condensing everything back down and just like digesting and less so for inspiration. We just spent a week on vacation, basically, and that's that's a lot of how I thought about it. I didn't think it about was it as like I'm, I'm was going out to like look at things. It was more like I'm just gonna sit here and decompress. Like, yeah, I think that's take a, a minute. I think that's an important part of any oh, designer's yeah. workflow is getting off the freaking computer for an hour a day at least and just oh. like thinking about nothing. I disagree. Really, I like to binge and then purge. <laughs> wow. <laughs> at some point along the way, you started writing essays. I did. Um, the way I started really writing was I came up with this like cockamamied idea to do this, this series. Cockamamied, because I'm like 80 years old. Cockamamied? Um, <laughs> have you heard that before? Cockamamie. Never cock-a-mamied. heard that word. Yeah. I mean, it's My grandma like, says it a lot. Dictionary definition in the show notes. Okay. It's actually like an 80 year old phrase to say. Got it. I have a lot of those. Um, I had this idea that basically I would write an essay for every letter of the alphabet. And I was like, ah, how long could this take? It took me a couple of years. By the time 26 I like, years. <laughs> 26 <laughs> About. <laughs> yeah. I'm on letter C. Um, <laughs> so I started with A and I was just like, oh, I'll just start like writing. And I wrote, I didn't really know what I would write about. I was just like use the structure kind of like as a way to like inspire myself to do stuff. And so it's funny because the first few essays are like really short and they're really weird. Like there's just like, there's no like really unifying theme or like voice. And so I think the first one I wrote was about how the, there's a sign in Astor Place in New York when you get off the six and the um, sign itself, instead of an O, someone put a zero and it just drives me crazy. Every, every time I passed it, it would just drive me nuts. And so it was just, I just like wrote about that. Okay. It was like a random little moment. And then I think the second one I wrote about like Barbie and how like there's like weirdness about Barbie and like. This is like the ideal. And Barbies are like very a weird, weird, weird thing. They are weird. Yeah. And so they just like, they were just like random thoughts I had, I think at first. And then I started being a lot more intentional with them as I started writing them. And I, it's funny because I feel like in the space of doing this, like one thing where all I was doing was writing essays around an alphabet. Like I was like, I just got like tremendously better just by doing it. So that's kind of how I got started writing essays. What, what have you been writing about recently? What have I been writing recently? I just wrote recently about being in tech as a woman, which is funny. I wrote an answer about this actually four years ago. And sometimes I'll go back and read like read old stuff just to like see That's the what most I used to be thing like. In the world. It's good though. Like I think it's important to go back and look at your old stuff just to be like, oh, okay, like I'm so much better now. I'm like, I've I can sleep at night. Gotten, yes, I've grown <laughs> up. Yeah, yeah. Which is like really great. Um, but yeah, I just read it and I was just like, whoa. First of all, I was like, my Quora byline was like, you can call me bro. It's okay. And I was like, girl, no. I was like, what is this? And um, yeah, the whole thing is just like really like disorganized. And you can tell it was just like, even it was just like four years ago, but I felt like I was so much younger. 
And so I just wanted to revisit it. And it gave me this like really like cringing feeling of embarrassment. And I was like, oh, like that's like a strong emotion. There's like probably something here. And so I just wrote about like on all it is is basically like bullet points of like all the stuff that's happened being a woman in tech. And I just had um, I like welcomed other women to highlight that paragraph was like all those highlights. Oh, yeah. Holy shit. It's like it was like 100 percent saturation in like a couple hours. And I was like, oh, OK, like this is good because any woman who comes to this will be like, oh, it's not just her and it's not just me. And um, kind of the twist for it for me, which was a really important turning point during writing this essay was that after I did all these like crazy experiences, I started kind of listing off things that people individually are helping with. And Mr. Rogers has this quote about looking for the helpers when there's some kind of like disaster or something going on, whenever you see something bad in the news. And I'm really trying to be like Liz Gilbert has this phrase of being like stubbornly optimistic or like stubbornly glad. And so I, tr- I just try to like, I was like, if you can just focus on these like individuals who are making things better, like it feels less terrible. And there is this like realism that it is getting better. And like people, there are just like all these like helpful people that are. Who are around. some of the people and what are they doing? So a bunch of people that I have in there. Um, one recent, I don't know if you saw the whole t-shirt debacle on designer news. Yeah. They only had men's sizes. Oh, yeah, and so yeah. classic designer news move. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, at some point, I think Dan Eden came on and was like, "Oh, like instead of paying thirty bucks for a shirt that you're not just going to sit in your closet or get thrown away, like why don't you give thirty dollars to girls who code or something like that?" And then just like all these responses, like it just became this like crazy debate. And I just remember I just like looked at it. I like scrolled a couple scrolls, and I was like, "Nope, not today." <laughs> I just like closed out. Um, so, I mean, people, like Dan, the fact that he would do that is like great. Um, I think who else? Yeah, there's a whole bunch. My friend Maria. He wouldn't wear those t-shirts coach. anyway. They're not from Everlane. <laughs> Dan looks so freaking dapper. <laughs> he does. He's he, really dapper. He's he a dapper he's Dan. He's a lovely he is, a, he is <laughs> the dapper Dan. This next segment comes from our episode with Aaron Moody, which we recorded in a tiny, dark hotel room in New York City. Aaron was awesome. He helped us get to New York, helped us plan that whole trip. And in this particular clip, I loved his story about how he got into design, his hustle, how he got his first job, how he kept climbing up, scrapping his way to the top. I think it's inspirational. Spam is a as a growth tool. Spam is a growth tool. And that sounds worse than it is. I think Aaron just shows that if you want something bad enough, it's possible to get. So here's the clip with Aaron talking about hustling and getting your job as a designer. I don't know if this is still work these days because everyone has a mobile phone, but at that point, everyone didn't have a mobile phone. So what I used to do is I would like find somewhere that I was really interested in, even if it was like, you know, obviously I would have liked to work there, but just more just to talk to people. I would find out who the creative director was and I would email them with like, you know, hi, my name's Aaron and like give them a story. At this point, you were using email. I was using email. I had, email. I had a Hotmail account. <laughs> nice. It won't go into what it was called, but yes, I had an email account. Um, <laughs> and then All I would, Hotmail account addresses have to be just the worst. It though. was terrible. And I, don't yeah, think, I'm, yeah. I don't think they allow good ones. I'm vetoing that question. We're not, we're not going there. <laughs> And so after I'd emailed them, I would just ring up the next day and ask, could I please speak to the creative director? Like, um, and 
they would ask, is he expecting... Sometimes they wouldn't ask, is he expecting a call? If he, if they did ask that, I was in, in trouble. Not in trouble, but like they would sort of say, oh, okay, I'll, I'll pass on your message. But sometimes they would just patch me straight through. And what ended up happening was, and I, they told me this afterwards, which was great, they would accept my call because the... The receptionist would ring and say, oh, there's Aaron Moody on the line for you. And having sent them an email the day before, my name was still sort of like, oh, I know that name for some reason. And they would answer the call. And then I was like, gotcha. <laughs> and then I wanted to just invite myself in. And no one ever said no. I'd just go in and meet with them and have a chat and show my work. And I mean... So you hustled your way. I hustled my way. And that's how I hustled my way into a job in London. And now at this point, this is all graphic design? This is graphic design. Okay. So I had done a little bit of web, but... Um, and I really, really enjoyed it and built a couple of websites like as part of my course, but my print game was much stronger than my web game. So I always was getting, like I was getting offers in print over like web, but I ended up working in a studio where they like, even though they didn't have a whole lot of web work, they encouraged me to like do little projects. So one of the things that I did with the, um, with the copywriter there was a thing called fish on Friday, which was fish puns and I turned them into animated gifs and we had a whole website of like um does this exist somewhere still? yeah it does yes example please um oh, oh like piano tuner and it was like a, a tuner playing the piano or or it was a salesman saying um the other tuner one was I think the tuner comes with the system and it was like a stereo system with this like tuner sitting in between just like jumping around <laughs> Um, awesome. <laughs> yeah. And they're all just like really, like I was using, a, um, some out of copyright, like fish illustration, um, re resource and just sort of like coloring them. Yeah. It was, it was a, a fish illustrating resource. <laughs> like, well, you know how like all the, like the, um, the detailed illustrations of like before photographs. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah so something like that, that was out of copyright and it was just all of these, um, like documentation of fish. And I was just turning them all into like really crude animations, awesome. little, little, little gifts. Yeah. So I did that for a couple of years. Um, and then I moved back to Australia and then I moved to Melbourne and then I had to hustle all, all over again. Um, for context, how old are you at this point? Like, or uh, so I moved to of... London when I was 20. Okay. I had my 21st birthday in London four days after I arrived. Ooh. Arrived. Yeah. Okay. Wanted the streets. Nice. Yep. Okay, so now you're back in Melbourne. Now I'm back in Melbourne. This is 2003. Um, back to waiting tables, back to hustling. Um, and I invent, ended up getting a job putting together one of the street press magazines. Um, I don't know if they have them here. In Australia, there's... I'm sure they have them here. I just haven't been interested in them. <laughs> they're like, um, like free press that, you know, um, they're music magazines that they put out... So in Australia, though, in Melbourne, there was three or two at the time, and this was a third startup. And it's just generally like music news with all the gigs, all the gig like mm -hmm. that are happening, all the gigs that are happening that week, and a whole a whole lot of advertising. And they're free; they go out every Wednesday. And so there was two, and this was like a new one that which had been in Brisbane but was moving to um, Melbourne. And so I got a job there, which was a pretty good job. It entailed taking a whole lot of like i'd start on i think i start on thursday and i'd do a bit of prep on thursday i'd do a bit of prep on friday i'd go in on monday and i'd work from nine until like four in the morning on tuesday just like putting in all the copy like getting it in like oh there's changes like reformatting like laying it all out 
and then sending that off to press and then having like Tuesday and Wednesday off and then starting again. And I did that for six months, I think. Oof, and geez. all this time I'd sort of been talking to a publishing company um, that was in Melbourne, for, like trying to sort of get an in. Um, and that hadn't worked out. And then sort of coincidentally, so I was still sort of doing the same thing, like emailing people, uh, inviting myself in. And I spoke to the creative director at one publishing company and, and he was really great. Uh, Glenn Moffat, and he was like, um, you know, I give you a job, but we don't have any. And I was like, okay. But he said, and he gave me some feedback on my folio, which was really useful. And all the time I was like trying to get in with this other company, like other publishing company. And I'd sort of been like every three months, I'd email them or every two months, I'd email and say, you know, do you have any work? And I'd be no, not at the moment, but get, you know, get back in touch. And it was almost a year this po- at, at this point and I emailed and I rang up, can I please speak to the creative director? Um, I can't remember his name but um they were like oh i'm sorry he's left i was like oh i have to start all over again um and they said we can put you on in touch with a new creative director um his name's glenn moffat and, and then i spoke to glenn and glenn was like oh hi and remembered me from coming into the yeah. other place yeah, yeah and yeah that all worked out and i ended up working there um for three years and that was doing all that was a publishing company so just doing magazines designing magazines so he did that for three years and then at the same time I was working there, I also had a studio space just because I had friends that had a studio space and I'd sort of basically go and hang out and work on my web game. And yeah, pretty much they just encouraged, like got me drunk, encouraged me like to, to say that I was going to go out and do stuff on my own. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go out on my own. <laughs> Sound like good friends. Yeah. <laughs> so I did that. And yeah, that was pretty much where like the whole web stuff started like that was a point where I was like people was like oh do you do websites and I was like yes yes I do websites um and that just sort of snowballed from starting like static html sites then it was wordpress stuff um and then it was flash stuff and at this point I was like I wasn't learning fast enough I was like I could I could get the jobs done but not in a timely fashion that was like profitable and I was like okay so I either not I either need to find someone else who is going to like help me out with this stuff or I need to like do it myself and do it properly um and after sort of like trying like I, I, I don't know how hard I tried I sort of like went and hung out at meetups and you know it's very hard to just go and find a business partner so I found um I went back to uni and started a post-grad master's in computer science and did I didn't do the whole thing. I like did like the certificate level, but that was enough. Like that was found out, like that was a PHP module, a um, Apache module, a SQL module, um, a Python module. And I did that for a year and a half and I was like leveled up. And then that was, that was where I sort of like started writing code and started programming properly. And this, this next clip is from episode four. It's with Christy Tillman. It's called Meet Space Onboarding. It's a really fascinating episode because we talked a lot about working on things that are in in real life instead of in apps. And Christy does a great job dealing with some of the hardest parts of real life. And it was really fun. We talked about gender in tech. We talked about diversity in tech. It It was really interesting to discuss with someone who knows far better than we do about that kind of thing. And this was also one of our few remote episodes. Episode four. It was one of our first episodes. Insane. And one of the few guests we haven't met in person yet. So get at us, Christy. Yeah, what the hell, Christy? Just kidding. We love you, Christy. Here's the clip. 
women in general are underrepresented in the tech field like not just in design but we we see a significant lack of women in design like we had a hard time finding like a significant amount to interview on dribble like that's kind of where we started with a lot of people and we went to twitter and we still didn't find a ton right away like it was kind of tough and jared hooked us up he gave us a list of like 50 women that are just incredible designers that we just didn't really realize that they considered themselves designers you know what you know what also Tubrin has to do with and i've recently learned this in my job because my boss is such a fierce woman is that we women sometimes completely downplay ourselves um, and one thing my boss said to me, cause we're doing, we're getting ready to do like our, um, reviews. Um, and we had to write like, what are you good at? What are you great at? And what, what do you need to work on? And she said, and I had a really hard time with this. I could not write a lot about what I was great at. And she was like, you're so great. She was like, if you were a guy, you would have, <laughs> you would have been good at one thing and you would have written 10 things, but she's like, you're good at 10 things. You only wrote one thing. No, she was, uh, she was, jo- but that's true. Right. So like, I've been reading this book, like lean in and confidence code. Yep. Like there's a huge chasm there for women, like really making the case for ourselves. Um, really speaking up, having the confidence, um, to, to be like real standout leaders. Right. So girls, like we've, we get we learn to downplay ourselves super early and you know that is a part of the problem yeah we hear that so often like satya nadella did that talk about how women they don't need to like work to make that uh pay gap go away because it'll just happen that that's such a weird concept to me because there's so many women i know that are very vocal and thoughtful and i mean they make themselves known right like they work hard for it and they're not afraid to tell people but then like that doesn't necessarily uh, that's not necessarily representative of the entire female population, right? So I, I, I totally agree. That's such an interesting problem, and it's it doesn't have an easy solution either. And it's also really hard too. Sometimes when you're in an all male environment, like I've worked in in places where I was like one of maybe two or three women out of like twenty total people, and it's just there's just a lot a lot of um, self doubt. Um, that goes on in your head and you, you know, you're like just as talented as everyone else in the room. And you're just like, man, I can't believe I'm in this room with these other talented designers. I think it's called imposter syndrome. Imposter oh. syndrome. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> if you have that, it means you're a designer. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, so, there you go. Yeah, well, that, that was actually, that was your reaction when I first sent you the guest list that we were working on, uh, when I asked you to join us and you're like, why am I on this list? <laughs> like, because you're awesome. And you're like, oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> I was like, Wow. Yeah, totally. So that's probably something that's something that I'm actively working on. Um, I'm actually speaking at um, the product design conference in in Jan- at the end of January in New York City. And um, I've been asked to speak at conferences before and I've always turned them down. I'm like, why would anyone want to hear, want to hear what I have to say? <laughs> and so I per- I'm purposely putting myself out there and like pushing myself to do this conference so that maybe I can break the ice on this kind of like um promoting yourself or you know just having confidence to just speak with authority about whatever you're working on so i'm going to be doing that in january hey just want to take a quick break to thank our sponsor for this episode weebly weebly uh lets you say goodbye to those pesky updates and maintenance work that comes with managing a website for a client things like changing a paragraph of text or updating a photo Stuff that would normally take all this back and forth, uh, emails and video calls just to update one small thing. 
No more. Uh, Weebly lets you just hand the website off to your client. The tool has really, really simple features, drag and drop interface. Seriously, anyone can pick it up. Anyone can use it. The bottom line is that Weebly lets you spend more time doing the things you love, like designing cool websites, and gives you happy clients that feel enabled to update their own website. They have the flexibility to keep the site up to date and get the most out of the beautiful site you've created for them. You can take Weebly for a test drive for free at Weebly.com or they're at dribble.com slash Weebly. Weebly lets you do more design and less maintenance. Thanks, Weebly. I'm I'm curious to hear how how things are going at Society of Grownups um, on the design side. It's like such a interesting concept, like you're you're trying to democratize financial advice and I've you know checked out the website and the videos and talk to me a little bit about how designs played a part in in the company coming up and how you think about design at the company. Right. So like um so Society's Grownups is born out of collaboration between IDO and Mass Mutual, um almost two years in the making. And at the so at in its very DNA at the very core of its DNA is design research. And um that's something we're we're carrying over into uh, the start of the company. So we've launched in October. Um, we opened our doors in October, and so far I was the only designer. We're bringing on about we're bringing on a new designer in January. Two new designers in January. I'm sorry, and we'll be we're looking for two more. So we're quickly going our design team. We have a full-time researcher on staff, and so we consider ourselves MVE. So pretty much everything is up for grabs. The name of my talk at the Product Design Conference is Designing Out in the Open, because that's basically what we're going to be doing, well, what we are doing. We're running lots of experiments on the service model, on the curriculum, on how to give advice, on the food that we have in the cafe, on the website. And so... It's just a bunch of moving parts. And like I said, I've, this is my, so I'm leading the effort and this is my first time as a design leader. So I'm learning a ton about myself and making a ton of mistakes and that's, I'm learning to live with them and that's totally fine. And so we're, what, what, what we're doing is we're doing a lot of testing, very rapid iteration on things. And we're beefing up our design team to kind of support that in our research team. So this came out of IDEO. You know, IDEO is known for its design thinking. And I came from IDEO. I've, I feel like I've cut my teeth, even though I've worked at other design places. I've cut, I feel like I've cut my teeth at IDEO. And so at the heart of our, our project or our, our company is definitely design research. So everything's open. Everything's up for change. And teaching, I think one of the biggest challenges has been teaching people who aren't designers how to think like a designer. I'm used to working with a, a team of designers and we kind of just, you know, siege on a project and we do our thing and we come up but working with people who aren't designers has been like a whole new world for me and really trying to figure out how to get them to think intentionally about things um how to get them to not make assumptions how how do we ask the right questions are we designing for the right question so it's been a lot of teaching and the more you teach the more you learn so it's just basically reinforcing a lot of stuff that I already knew could you tell me more about that? Like, what are some lessons that you've ended up teaching or maybe mistakes you've learned along the way specifically? One of the biggest mistakes I've made is, I guess, not being directional enough. So really having to take time to help people kind of set themselves up for success. That's one of the things I'm really have, having to do is because I'm one person, right? I can't control all of it. 
So having trust in in teammates, specifically ones who ones who aren't designers, is one of the biggest things that I'm learning right now. Um, and also giving them the tools and setting them free and hoping and you know wishing and praying and trusting that they come back with the right results. So that's been a huge thing and it's ongoing. And I can say that I'm proud of my team because they are really like taking on to it and running their own experiments and recording things. And, you know, it's been really great to watch that kind of happen. So that's kind of one of the biggest mistakes I've made. It's like, I guess, not giving people enough credit for being able to do the same work that I do. This next clip comes from episode number 24 called Open Source Religion with Kevin Rose. In this episode, he talks about um, narrowing his focus now, and he's got some really great stories about some of his travels. This particular clip kind of dives into that experience. I think it's really neat. You'll get a lot out of it. Um, Enjoy the clip. Do you feel like you've sort of gotten out of this, I don't know, rat race of technology and well, you're still in it, but like you seem to have like a higher level perspective on sort of what's going on in San Francisco and Silicon Valley. And like, it sounds like I don't know you, obviously, but it sounds like you've sort of stepped away and you're like, you know, looking at well-crafted physical products and like maybe getting out of the ephemeral apps. Yeah, I think that, you know, there's a lot of when we did Tiny, we had a lot of fun building it and it was it was like our, our last true big kind of like, we want to go mass market. We want to go, you know, hit every consumer and just build one of those things. And we thought we had a pretty interesting little take and angle on the way that, uh, that, that content hadn't been shared before. Um, and that's kind of like all you can really hope to do is build something like that. And you just don't know how the consumers are going to react against it, but it is a race. It's like, it's like this constant, like, how can I flip something in a slightly different way or a slightly different angle to hopefully get consumers to use it? And like, we forget that how many, you know, secrets there are in the world that, I mean, secret was a whole nother beast, but you know what I mean? Like there's just like thousands of consumer apps that die every single day or don't even get a start because it's just, it's a very difficult space to, to kind of, to break into in any meaningful way, you know? And, and, and even then, you know, how long does that last? I mean, these are all waves. It's like, you know, whether it's MySpace or Facebook or anyone, it's like you can only last for so long and then you have to completely reinvent yourself. Otherwise, you're just that old person's product, which is what Facebook is to many kids today, you know? Microsoft is doing a good job of that right now. I'm really Except impressed. for Office. I, I just thought you were about that today. That's crazy. I installed Office for the Mac today. It's Office 2011. You have no idea how excited I was when 2011 first came out for the Mac because oh, I was God. working in IT at that point as a Mac uh, person, I guess. Like I was... Mac specialist or something like that. And it was in all office um, company. Everyone was on office all the time. And 2007 was the one before that. And it was just horrible. It was so bad. In 2011, I'm like, I have news for you. It's on par with office. Is horrible. Dude, it was so good in 2010. <laughs> They've since done what? 365 and they did all the iPad stuff. But they're still shipping 2011. Yeah, 365 is still 2011. Like when you, oh, really? yeah, I have a subscription. That wasn't like an upgrade? No, 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 there was no oh, upgrade. Jesus. That's what I was hoping for. I paid the six ninety nine cloud pricing, whatever today. And I got, I got 2011, but, um, I agree with you though, that Microsoft for the first time, I'm just like, wow, outlook for the iPhone. It's not just you know, a walled garden. They figured it out. The second person that has said outlook for the iPhone is like, awful. it's a compli. I mean, they, they bought the company to fix it instead of trying Nothing to wrong with that. Yeah. Trying Nothing to be Microsoft. It's not the best way to do it all the time. 
I mean, well, and just understanding that you can open things up. Like yeah. they've been a closed company for so long. It's not in their DNA yes. to say, Hey, guess what? By default, you can auth in with your Gmail account. Like that was like, Microsoft would never do that, you know, but they are now, oh, which yeah. is cool. I like to see that. This next clip comes from episode 65, Meatwad Flip Flops, featuring Linda Eliason. Linda has been an awesome person to get to know. Uh, we finally started hanging out after that episode. She's an awesome person with a really great backstory. And we basically spent the entire episode just talking about her journey. This particular clip is sort of the genesis of that. Uh, I think it's important to go back and listen to the whole episode to, to get the full story, but hopefully this clip is a little bit of a teaser for you. Uh, once again, that was episode 65 with Linda Eliason. Here we go. So I'd love how, to hear how you started from the bottom and got here. <laughs> um, started from the bottom. Now we're here. Belinda, in my kitchen. Belinda you have, you have reached the peak. Finally, I made it to this. <laughs> First it was Eliason, now it's Eliason. Quit changing your story. I say both. Yeah. I think when I'm thinking like about Eliason. it really hard, I say Eliason because I remember my family saying like, this is how you pronounce your name. Um, but But then you remember Eliason. how it's spelled. Yeah. So anyways. I'd love to hear your story. Just like, okay. why, why design? I have like a, a weird family. My dad is a pianist um, and my mom is an accountant. Um, and my dad's mother was a pianist. She was an amazing jazz pianist. And um, my dad is more of the classical variety. And uh, so I just grew up around music all the time. Um, he was teaching me how to play piano and sing and stuff um as a really little girl and i loved drawing from like the moment i could hold a pencil and um we lived in florida at the time and so, sorry uh <laughs> when you're three and mickey mouse is like an hour away you don't care you don't know about all the rednecks and stuff like you don't know about florida man <laughs> <laughs> i i kind of love florida like florida will forever have a very warm place in my heart um, so we used to go to Disney world cause we had this like special, like you, you're a resident of Florida pass and, uh, <laughs> that's what it's called. And, um, it's, it's literally called the, you're a resident of Florida yeah. pass. And, um, so we would go there a lot. And at the time there was this cool thing set up where you could watch the animators work, um, behind like pane glass uh -huh. and they were just at their like elevated desks and just drawing like page after page after page and like just I could just sit there and watch that forever and so um yeah I mean like at the age of three I was like I want to be a cartoonist when I grow up or I want to you know be an animator or work for Disney or something like that and so then I just kind of drew all the time and I was kind of like an awkward kid and I was really into horses I was one of those girls I was a, a, a centaur I was like <laughs> <laughs> a half, yeah I was half horse half girl and I got picked on a lot uh, no, <laughs> no. I mean, I think I got picked on a little bit in the beginning, but then I learned that I could use uh, the things that I was good at, like uh, like drawing <laughs> horses, <laughs> to kind of make friends. And um, and then I started to like find my sense of humor by like watching like The Simpsons and um, and stuff like that. Do and, you draw cartoons? Um, I my mean, favorite thing when I was growing up was like to draw the cartoons. Oh like. yeah. Yeah. I did that all the time. And you like memorize how to draw Bart mm -hmm. and like all these different things. And then you can like hook a brother up and like draw Bart on his binder for him. Friends for life, uh -huh. you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so that was kind of how I spent elementary school. <laughs> 
drawing on boys binders and w- girls was Bart and your girl. favorite to draw um I had these like little characters that weren't uh like famous cartoons they, like, they I weren't this, affiliated right <laughs> like I had this elephant that I drew on everything and he had like wacky eyes <laughs> and I thought it looked cool I don't know I was really into frogs drawing frogs on stuff i was a big fan of drawing piccolo from dragon ball z like that was my whole thing yeah see you like you have the character that you really love and that you want to draw on everything. He had like a turban and like stripy skin and everything was textured it was wonderful <laughs> it's awesome i was you get terrible like, at drawing him so bad but you get a little better every time you draw him mm-hmm. and that's like addictive that was episode 94 the last of our clip episodes. We'll be back next week with something that isn't a clip episode. With real people. People or episodes. New people. Peepisodes. Episodes. Europe episode. If you enjoyed this, hit us up on Twitter. We're at Design Details FM. Or get at us in our Slack team. We're at spec.fm slash Slack to join. There's over 2,500 designers. 3,000. <gasps> really? Yeah. There's over 3,000 designers and developers hanging out in there talking about the latest news what's going on in the design and development worlds and we're just having a lot of fun so come join us that's at spec.fm slash slack we'll see you next week with a person i will not see you next week no thank you sarah yeah thank me for being Uh, on your last show